This episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by our friends at Fansets. See their incredible array of officially licensed Star Trek pins and collectibles at fansets.com and stay tuned for a special discount code just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets, we are Star Trek. Hi, this is Andy Robinson, Elam Garrick on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little podcast this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Failure to tune in would not sit well with the Obsidian Order. Greetings, Pod Fleet. We're coming to you from Deep Space Nine this week. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, your independent Star Trek podcast. This is Trek Geeks, and I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. We're glad... Uh, ha, ha, it's my first day talking. I've got Dan Davidson disease. We're uh, glad you're here. This is episode number 148. We're almost to the 150 mark, and uh, every week I am just astounded by the fact that uh, you all keep coming back. So thank you so much. Uh, of course... My co-host and I, I've referenced him once already. If there were somebody that I was going to trap for eternity in the Bajoran fire caves, it would be this fine-looking gentleman today. He's the very ignitable Dan Davidson. Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. How you doing? Is that a reference to when we had dinner at Hell's Kitchen in Vegas a couple weeks ago? (laughs) Wow. Yeah, we saw saw that. For those of you who may not have heard, there was somebody who got accidentally lit on fire at Hell's Kitchen. But we're not going to get into that right now because it's great to be here uh, recording episode 148 with you, my friend. It's it's about time we talked about today's subject. I'm excited for it, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing your opinions on the matter as well. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Gul Dukat today, and I figured this is something we kind of had to have its own episode on if we were going to celebrate DS925, as we've done all year long. It's hard to believe it's it's mid-August already, and, and pretty soon we'll be wrapping this up. But to me, and, and I'm sure you believe this on some level, I think Dukat is the most intricate, layered, and well-rounded of all the Star Trek villains. I agree. He is actually my favorite Star Trek villain in all of Star Trek, every series. Uh, um, he, he just is so complicated. He's so layered, like you said, and the layers take some really weird twists as you're unraveling those layers during the series. So I'm glad that we're going to be talking about him. Like I said, he is my favorite villain. And uh, go Cardis. <laughs> Go Cardi's. <laughs> you mean Cardi's furniture? No, 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 no. Spoonheads, oh, baby. Spoonheads. <laughs> wow, wow. Enough with the racism, Dan. Yeah. You know, in considering Ducat, I mean, you know, you think of his evolution over the seven seasons. We'll talk mm. more about this later. And you go, oh yeah, to a lot right. of stuff. Even right. if you've recently rewatched it, because until you have it laid out for you, you know, on on you know, in an article or on paper, it's like. 
oh, this guy is really messed up. Yeah. Oh, messed up is a is a perfect way to describe him, especially towards the end yeah. uh, of the series. Um, and the thing that I liked about Deep Space Nine, and like you said, we'll talk about this more when we talk about the character itself, is is they didn't just have this happen quickly. Like, okay, boom, now we're going to have Gal Dukat being really messed up. Yeah. You saw that evolution or de-evolution into that madness that he uh, he has towards the end of the series, and it was it was he's he's just awesome. Love him. I love the bad guys. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about Mark Alimo himself and, and just what a what a, an amazing actor he is. But uh, just to keep this in mind, Dan, as we progress through the episode, are you ready for this thought? You mm-hmm. get to take with you in your heart every day? I'm ready. Uh, Dukat nailed Kai Wynn. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, good luck with that visual, buddy. In the meantime, why don't you tell people how they can get in touch with us and complain about that visual? I'm going to write to us and complain about that visual. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's so easy to get in touch with us. Just head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact where you'll find a variety of ways to uh, to get in touch with Bill or I. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and type away to leave us a message. Or maybe even easier, you can click on that big blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a voice message using SpeakPipe. And as always, we really want you to join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. There's lots of Star Trek talk, pictures, polls, contests, STLV stuff going on right now. Uh, We just recently put up our latest Friday commute celebration, and we had a blast doing it because, spoiler alert, Bill got to punch me in the face. Um, So to join the group, uh, in addition, before I tell you where to go to join the group, because it's very important, you're going to get early access to the Trek Geeks podcast just for being a member of Camp Kittimer, which is pretty cool. So as I was saying, to join the group, just head right on over to Facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And uh, Heather, Jackie or Dan will let you right on in to join in on all the fun at that site. But please remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Wow, that got really deep and menacing right there. Yes. (laughs) Dan, as we record this, it is Sunday, August 19th. And today is the birthday of the great bird of the galaxy, Gene Roddenberry. Indeed, it is. Yes. However, it is also the birthday of two other people in the Star Trek universe. And of course, I am talking about Jonathan Frakes. Mm Mm-hmm. Number one, Will Riker on TNG. And, of course, Diana Moldauer, who made two guest appearances in the original series. And then, of course, was Dr. Pulaski on TNG. I always look forward to August 19th as such a uh, a confluence of great Star Trek birthdays with some some amazing people. But uh, I will always think on this day of the day, I actually got to meet Gene Roddenberry and smile just a little bit, you know? That is one thing that I wish I had, had always had the opportunity to do was to meet uh, the legend and the great bird himself. Unfortunately, I did not. I'm glad you did. Um, but uh, happy birthday to all three. And uh, I know one of them is sorely missed. It's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. All right, enough with the dance stuff. It's treknews.net. Another key. That was pretty good.
That was pretty, yeah, it's a, we had a modulation there, didn't even know it, online at treknews.net. Dan, we love talking about news on this show, and um, every now and then a story breaks that is pretty gargantuan, and this week was no exception. For some time now, you and I have been discussing how we're probably going to see Spock in season two of Star Trek Discovery, and and now it looks like we've got a very definitive answer on that topic, don't we? Very definitive, very excited. Uh, Earlier this week, CBS announced that Spock will be portrayed in Discovery Season 2 by a gentleman actor known as Ethan Peck. Showrunner Alex Kurtzman released the following statement, and I will quote it out here. Quote, through 52 years of television and film, a parallel universe and a mirror universe, Mr. Spock remains the only member of the original bridge crew to span every era of Star Trek. The great Leonard Nimoy, then the brilliant Zachary Quinto, brought incomparable humanity to a character forever torn between logic and emotion. We searched for months for an actor who would, like them, bring his own interpretation to the role. An actor who would, like them, effortlessly embody Spock's greatest qualities beyond obvious logic, empathy, intuition, compassion, confusion, and yearning. Ethan Peck walked into the room inhabiting all of these qualities, aware of his daunting responsibility to Leonard, Zach, and the fans, and ready to comfort the challenges in the service of protecting and expanding on Spock's legacy. In that spirit, we are thrilled to welcome him to the family, end quote. That is an amazing uh, um, announcement by Alex Kurtzman. Um, Mr. Peck, who is actually the grandson of Hollywood legend Gregory Peck, posted a wonderful photo on his Twitter page after the announcement, surrounded by the Nimoy family, stating that it was, quote, an incomparable honor to be playing this amazing character. And Bill, I, for one, am ecstatic. We talked about the possibilities of how Spock would be represented in Discovery Season 2. And I think that looking at his photo and hearing all these kind of uh, announcements, I I think it's going to be very interesting to see how he brings that character to life at the early ages of when we see Spock. Yeah, I agree. Spock's got to be like a lieutenant at this point. Uh, maybe a, he could be a junior lieutenant for all we know. But um, I am incredibly excited to see what Ethan Peck does with this part. You know, uh, it's like they said, Spock has always been a constant in Star Trek. And now that we've had, you know, certainly a bunch of people play Spock, you know, because, I mean, we have to count pretty much all the iterations. Mm-hmm. You know, a whole bunch of people have played Spock. They just haven't all had necessarily lines or, or, or big roles in the show. True. You know, whether it was from the animated series or, you know, alternate Spocks from the movies like Star Trek three. I think we see about four different Spocks. <laughs> um, but, you know, this is a this is yet another chance to carry this this character forward for a new generation. One of the things that I think that the Discovery team has done really well is the PR side of things as far as cast announcements and building excitement for the product. Mm-hmm. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, we had, you know, Patrick Stewart in Las Vegas as a surprise. And then what happens two weeks later, they announced the brand new Spock and this guy could play Spock for decades. As far as we know, sure. We have, we have no idea. And I think that this is exciting. I, I really think we're on the verge of star Trek's second golden age, uh, as far as expanding the fan base. And I think Ethan's going to do a, a fantastic job. I'm looking forward to seeing him for the first time, whether it be in a trailer or if they just don't show him until the episodes start airing. One of the things that I really show that really shows what I think this actor um, feels about the role is I, I apologize. I don't remember who posted the picture, but on Twitter, there was a picture and the caption said, 
We'll never forget this moment. This was when you got the 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 uh, text that you had landed the role of Spock, and it showed Ethan Peck kneeling against a brick building, looking at his phone, crying. And I think that that says a lot about the uh, about what we're going to see with this gentleman. You know, we're now into generations of actors who have had Star Trek, you know, in the in pop culture for their entire lives, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this this is a first. I mean, even you know, I'm sure that was true with Zachary Quinto to some extent, because um, obviously he's not 50 years old. But you know, it's in the 90s, Star Trek took a, a definite turn and became more prevalent in culture with multiple series and and the product tie-ins and just how it became part of the American experience again, right. a different and in a different way than it did in the sixties. And, you know, to play Spock is, it, it's incredible. I mean, not everybody gets cast as this character. What I think is amazing is it's, it's exciting. It's to be picked to play. This character has got to be the most humbling moment, but at the same time, as mentioned in this tweet, also the responsibility it, to, to keep this iconic character, uh, in a certain way and 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 be able to carry him forward from the past as we're going to see him. That's an incredible, I don't think burden's the right word, but he's got to have a weight on his shoulders that that he wants to succeed and that and that everybody's going to love this character. So there's a there's a ton of positive, but at the same time, there's probably a lot of trepidation on his part. And he, he's probably, I wouldn't be surprised if the first time he got in front of that camera, because I'm sure he's already filmed some scenes, uh, was pretty overwhelming. Well, that and you know there are the inevitable comparisons to Leonard Nimoy. Oh yeah, I mean, there's just no getting around it. None. I mean, people still compare Quinto to Nimoy, mm-hmm. and Quinto's had the role for for ten years now. Right. Yeah. You know, that's, that's true. Star ten Trek years. 2009 is almost ten years old, mm-hmm. and that means that ten years ago he was shooting. So um, I, I can't wait to see what he's going to do. I'm looking forward to it. I, I I can't wait to see the interaction with Michael Burnham. Oh yeah, um, I'm assuming there's there probably won't be a whole lot of interaction with Sarek, right? Because they were estranged for some time. But maybe mm-hmm. this is what causes them estrangement. We don't know. That's true. The, oh, God, the possibilities are endless, isn't it? <laughs> there are always possibilities, Dan. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you, thank you, Dan. Moving on. So the second of the Star Trek mission crates has arrived, and um, it's a little bit underwhelming. I'm here to tell you because I got mine yesterday. <laughs> Mine was delivered, but it was delivered to my old address. Um, I had not uh, updated my address on the Mission Crate site before it got shipped. So it is sitting at my sister's, which I will pick up tonight. But based on what I've seen online and and some people have described what's in it, and I think you may be doing that a little bit. I, first of all, the, the packaging compared to the first one is just ridiculously boring. Uh, but uh, let's see. What do you got for us, my friend, on the Mission well, Crate? Let me tell you. And I'm I'm going to pull up my phone here because I did take pictures of everything. The crate is downstairs. So, you know, I got it. It comes in a much more generic box than it did the first time, and that's fine. Uh, although I should say, if if people want still want to be surprised about what's in the mission crate and don't want to hear this, fast forward about three or four minutes. Yes, good idea. Um, because I'm going to tell you what's, what's in the box. Black alert. Black <laughs> alert. What's in the box? What's in the box? Um, so to start with... Uh, there is a QMX figure of Worf. Makes uh, sense. With a bat left. And it looks pretty fearsome. It looks okay, although I don't think there's any way that uniform would still, you know, stay, the the top of it would still stay down the way his arms are. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, it's cool, but um, it, it's it's not anything special to me. There's a Mirror Universe Tribble. Uh, okay. 
It's kind of a black and red tribble, and it's got fangs, and it's kind of the stupidest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> There's a pair of socks with the uh, the Klingon Empire logo. Oh, I'll wear those. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah. Well, not yours. Uh, we're yours. I hope not. There's a uh, QMX Klingon badge that looks like it's magnetic. Okay. Interesting. And I'm, sh- I'm showing you these photos on the... Uh, that's a better shot of it. That's... Okay. All right. I see. Showing you these photos on our shared video chat. There's that Discovery lapel pin that we got in Vegas at that panel that we went to on the, on the licensees. Very nice pin, actually. I like that one. It is, although I've already got one. Right. Uh, there's a Star Trek online code. There's a Klingon emblem sticker, which is kind of lame. And uh, and that's really it. Hmm. That that's that's it. Forty it's, bucks. It's not worth the forty bucks. Um, I was severely underwhelmed by this crate, um, especially when you consider that it cost forty dollars and it was four months late. I can't think of anything in that box that was worth the significant delay. This program has been going on for a year because it was announced last year at this time, and. Theoretically, they've charged people for at least four or five crates at this point and have only delivered two. Yeah, we've talked about it before and we've tweeted about it before. We're extremely disappointed in how Mission Crate has brought this uh, this collection to Star Trek fans. And and I got to say, I had thought about possibly ordering a couple other loot crates that were not Star Trek related just because I do like so many different genres. There's no way in hell I'm ever going to buy anything from this from this company again. I, I feel bad for CBS that, that they um, went ahead and, and went through with the licensing for this because I, I think they've been duped. I, I really do. I, I am just so appalled at the customer service responses that both you and I have gotten and the um, what you just went through of, of what was in this crate is is laughable, I think, compared to with when you look at the delay. God, you would have thought there was a starship in there for us to all drive around in, um, because it just has been taking so long for this to get out. Yeah, and it's really too bad. And and it's it, and I want to make it very clear: this is not a reflection, at least in my opinion, on anything Star Trek or CBS related. This is all definitely at the feet of Mission Crate as to why so many people are fed up and are canceling the subscription. Yeah, this is clearly at the feet of Loot Crate and at the at the feet of QMX. Quantum mechanics, yep. you yep. know, uh, uh, because they're providing the the stuff for the crate. Mm-hmm. You know, Loot Crate was when it was initially launched. It was sort of like you know extra stuff that they packaged together, and you could buy the crate. You know, just generic yeah. geek things. And nowadays, it's specialized stuff that is created specifically for the crate experience. And the problem is, is that, you know, here we are. The first one was delayed months. The second one was delayed months. We're a year into the program now and only two have been delivered. And uh, that's why I canceled. I, I, in fact, I recommend that everybody cancel it because this thing is a disaster. It's an embarrassment. It is. You know, it, uh, and I think that there are other licensees out there that are worth spending your money with. Absolutely. That's, that's the key point is there is other stuff out there that you can spend your money on and you'll be infinitely happier with what you get. I would love if somebody who's listening to this podcast who has received this mission, uh, this mission crate and liked it to tweet us about it, to tell us that they like it and why they like it. Because I 100% I'm serious. What I have not seen one positive thing in regards to what this particular crate has provided. I'm so disappointed by this crate that I'm actually going to put it in the mail tomorrow to send to a friend of ours who loves Klingon stuff. Yeah, that's because I, think I, that's I, great, don't even, 
I don't even want it. I'm just giving it to, I'm just sending it to him for free. I, I just, that's I'm, great. And that, and I think that speaks volumes for, for the uh, quality and, and just the quality of the product. It's too bad. I agree. Dan, coming up after the break, we're actually going to talk about a different CBS licensee, one that we're proud to welcome to Trek Geeks uh, on a pretty permanent basis. So uh, that's coming up next. You know, Dan, as you mentioned at the top of the show, we have a very familiar and much loved group of people joining us here officially now as a sponsor on the Trek Geeks podcast. Yeah, this is uh, much loved. I think Bill is, is is actually quite an understatement. We are just so thrilled uh, and happy to welcome our good friends from Fansets uh, here to Trek Geeks to be an official sponsor of the podcast. Um, as our exclusive sponsor over at Discovering Trek, we've had just a, an amazing and wonderful relationship with Lou and John, as well as Amity and Laureen and all the folks over at Fansets. And we just felt it made sense to welcome them over here to the flagship of Coconut Media Works. So we are just ecstatic. Uh, over the course of the year, we're going to have special giveaways and contests associated with fansets. And, and you, the listeners, are actually going to help us come up with a pin or possibly pins, uh, uh, ad- ideas for these pins, uh, for fansets to actually create and produce for us. Uh, so we here at Trek Geeks uh, have the distinct privilege also of announcing what pins will be released each month uh, at Fansets, as people who follow Fansets know, they release pins on the 1st and the 15th. And Bill, I think you have the information of what is going to be coming up for the month of September. And it's pretty awesome. Oh, it really is. I'm excited about both of these, actually. The first one, especially because that's mm. my enterprise, right? <laughs> uh, on September 1st, so coming up in just a short couple of weeks, the Refit Enterprise pin is going to be dropped. That, and believe it or not, Dan, that's actually one of their most requested pins. And I'm not surprised because I think I've asked them about 100 times myself. <laughs> I, I think they finally did it just to shut you up. <laughs> that's probably true. And, and I, will, uh, I, I will buy a King's Ransom worth of them, that's for sure. <laughs> and then on September 15th, we're also going to get a new character pin, which is Lieutenant Kayla Detmer from Star Trek Discovery. Um, I'm very excited by that pin, too. I think that's a character that... Uh, I'm looking forward to see explored more, hopefully in season two. Mm-hmm. I want to know more about that thing around her eye. Yes. Which almost looks so like some kind of implant, but yeah. um, I, I'm very excited by both of those pins. Now, also one of the great things, Dan, people who listen to Trek Geeks know that, you know, if they if they've listened to Discovering Trek, they've been able to save a few quatloos with a special discount code on fanset stuff and this week is no exception the folks at fansets uh do have something for trek geeks listeners this week absolutely and and this is one of the reasons that we love them is, is they want to help you save those quat lose but also add to your collection so uh um as we said since this week's episode is being brought to you by fansets uh we're offering a special 15 percent discount off your entire order uh, at fansets.com by simply entering the word fan geeks at checkout. So that's one word, F A N G E E K S. Uh, and you'll get that 15% off your order. Now, keep in mind, this is only going to be good for one week. So the episode is going to drop on Tuesday, uh, August 21st, and you'll be able to use that uh, coupon code until Monday at midnight 
on August, I'm going to pull out my calendar, 27th. So uh, please take uh, note of that time range and get your special 15% off co- uh, discount by entering FanGeeks at checkout. FanSets is pinpoint accuracy, and we thank our friends at FanSets for sponsoring this week's episode. Dan, moving on to our main segment, we wanted to talk this week about perhaps the greatest villain in Star Trek history. Now, some people go, oh, that's the Borg. Well, no. not really. No. You know, the Borg are fearsome, and the Borg are perhaps the, the, the biggest threat the Federation has ever faced. But when I think of the... The, the worst villain that has ever appeared in Star Trek, my mind immediately goes to Gul Dukat from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He is a character that weaves in and out of all seven seasons and really takes quite a journey. He takes an amazing journey. And and it's funny, I, I think a lot of people sometimes will, in addition to the Borg, say that, oh, Kai Wen, Kai Wen. Well, Kai Wen wasn't the worst villain. She was just the person you loved to hate the most, in my opinion, which I think is a very different distinction. Um, I love Gul Dukat. I love him as a villain. I love him as a character. He's very, very layered, as we've talked about a couple of times, and <clears throat> excuse me, brilliantly played. Uh, by the great Mark Alimo, who I finally had the pleasure of meeting and getting an autograph last year at STLV. And he was there again this year, which I, I was glad to see. You know, we first saw uh, Mark Alimo play a Cardassian Bill, if you remember. Uh, he was the very first Cardassian we ever saw in Star Trek history. And that's kind of a kind of a big thing in my mind, especially with what Deep Space Nine was all about with the Bajorans and, and the Cardassian occupation. Well, it's kind of cool because he had those weird sort of Cardassian pork chop sideburns. <laughs> yes, he did. Saw them, I thought that was pretty cool, pretty badass. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. set, if memory serves. Correct. Uh, from the Wounded in TNG, which was uh, a fantastic story. And I think that, that Mark Alimo kind of gave that role the gravitas it needed, mm-hmm. um, which I'm guessing is probably why they brought him back on Deep Space Nine. I, I got to figure that Ducat is far more... Uh, layered mm-hmm. intricate is the word I keep coming back to in my own mind sure. than Masset ever could have been. I, um, it's interesting. You talked about meeting Mark Alimo. I have to tell you really quick about the time I met him. Mm, yes. And it was five years ago, uh, during deep space nine 20. And it's when I got my photo taken with the deep space nine cast. Mm-hmm. The one I finally got Michael Dorn's signature on this year. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And Mark Alimo was just sitting off to the side. So you take your photo with the cast and you walk, you know, over to, to leave the room. And he was just sitting over there by himself, sort of bopping along to the music that was playing. It was sort of some upbeat jazz. And he was the happiest guy in the world. And I walked up to him and I said, I'm really sorry to bother you. He goes, no, no. How are you doing? Shook my hand. I said, I just, I want to know. I really love what you did with Dakot. He's one of my favorite characters of all time. He's like, oh, thank you so much, man. Are you having a great convention? I said, I'm having a great time. He goes, that's <laughs> awesome. And and then I, I went my own way. But he was just super engaged. He was super excited mm-hmm. to be yep. there. And he's a guy who just seems the complete opposite of Gul'du God. I'm not going to lie. You know, because Gul'du God's menacing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he you is. Know? He's um he's an intense guy and he's a guy you don't cross. Whereas Mark Alimo, he's a very laid back, cool cat, man. I'm here to tell you. Yeah, well, we've seen him on a couple of panels and he's really uh, been interesting to listen to. And and I, for one, cannot wait to see 
um, what we left behind, the documentary being put together for Deep Space Nine, because we've seen a couple of clips where he's talking and he is so into the conversation and so much loves to talk about what he did with the character and the show. So, yeah, Mark's Mark's awesome. I really was glad to finally be able to uh, to get that autograph on my poster and, and get a picture with him as well. So I've got that uh, that will eventually get hung up on my empty room studio walls. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, I want to go back to to where we're going with Golmasat. Sure. Uh, sorry to provide that tangent, but it just really occurred to me. Um, so we were talking about how Alimo played Masat and also he's played Dukat, but you were telling me that the DS9 novels establish a continuity for those two characters? Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, the novels establish that Golmasat is actually Gul Dukat's cousin, which is why there's such a striking resemblance between the two. And I think it's a good way to... to um, to bring those characters together in that continuity. And I'm going to go off on a slight tangent like you just did, Bill. And one of the novels, actually, Masset is very well um, established in this novel. And do you remember back in TNG, the episodes with uh, Remick, with the little aliens, where the, the little gill was out of the back of their neck? Yeah. They come they come back in that, in that novel. Uh, I think there's actually more than one novel. And Masset, if I remember correctly, is is taken over by one of those beings and leonard james akar has a prominent role in those in those books um but it was good that they brought back this character uh in the novel unfortunately i don't have the title uh, handy with me i can probably put that out on twitter once i once i pull it up um but it's 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 a great way that the authors that do not get to have things be official canon to be able to write about things to to tie stuff together and i thought that was brilliantly done in that novel yeah, I love the creativity of that the novels bring to the Star Trek universe, um, and, and probably why I've softened my stance on on canon over the years, because they tell great stories. Exactly. You know, they they they're imaginative, and they they let the reader escape into that universe for you know a few hundred pages, and it's they're they're fantastic. I yeah. mean, but uh, yet we digress. So Dukat has quite the interesting evolution. He starts off at the beginning of Deep Space Nine like a deposed Heinrich Himmler type. <laughs> sort of, well, Himmler kind of oversaw the the, yeah. the concentration camps of the Nazi Empire. Sure. And that parallel is kind of drawn with Dukat very early. He's he's very much a you know a a Nazi esque figure in the way that the Bajorans were treated and the way the camps were run. And then over time, they soften him a little bit and make him a little more. Uh, I don't want to say redeemable because I don't know that there's ever really any redemption for Ducat, but they make him a little more human, especially with the Torzial storyline and and when he and and Kieran Norris sort of join forces to sort of co-parent in a way. Is that is that a, a safe term? Is that accurate in your mind? No, I think I think it's it's very accurate. Yes, uh, I I don't think I could have come up with a better term. It, it's amazing the the roller coaster of of things that we see Ducat as throughout the series of Deep Space Nine. Like you said, he's very sure of himself and proud and 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 irritated that now these humans in the Federation have taken over the station that he o- was overseer on. Um, and one thing I did not know is that he actually was a legate at one point, but actually decided to, uh, to go back to being a gull because it was, quote, more hands-on. We found that out in DS9's Ties of Blood and War, uh, Blood and Water, excuse me. But... Um, I, I do love the the way that they make the changes in how we see Dukat and maybe even how we think about of about him in storylines such as the one with Zial and as well as Kira. The thing that's interesting about Kira is he's got this 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 
I don't know what to call it in his mind about this relationship that he feels he should have with Kira and wants to have. And I have to wonder if it's based on the fact that her mother was a collaborator and actually had a relationship with Ducat, which we found out later on in the series. You know, what, what, what I see with Ducat is a definite ebb and flow to his character. I mean, he's not just evil. I mean, he's evil. Don't get me wrong. But there is a there's a complexity to that level of evil that I think is is really kind of sublime, especially early on in Deep Space Nine. And then it doesn't get into full on scenery chewing until like the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. You know, they establish him as a as a totalitarian figure at first, and then you know uh, a, a guy who who definitely is very political and almost very Romulan like, and fitting since Alimo's also played a Romulan. Um, True. You know, and and then he gets into this this sort of fatherish type role, and then becomes a bit of a renegade. You know, oh, where, yeah. he, where he kind of steals a Klingon bird of prey and mm-hmm. and essentially goes off on his own mission. So I, I think that calling him evil just doesn't really do a, a service to the character because it's so much more than that. And I don't I don't know if I know really know the right word to describe it. And that that's that's a first for me because I mean I typically have the right word for just about everything. I got a right word for you. Yeah, what is it? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. Yes. You're right. Um it, it, it's it's amazing all of the different things that take place over the course of his life in just the seven seasons that we see him. All the different relationships. I'm talking about relationships like with Zial, with Kira, with Damar, and 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 later on um Kai Wynn. Uh, I always loved how they how they just scratched the surface of that relationship with Garrick and their hatred for each other, uh, but never really dove into the specific reasons. And there was no specific um, resolution uh, to that relationship, so to speak. And then, of course, we also had Wayun and, and as well as others. But one of the things that that I always think about, and you were, and I was thinking of it while you talked about your comments a moment ago, is how he thinks he's doing so much for the good of Bejor when he's doing all of these things that he does throughout the series. And he believes it, I think. And that's the most scary part of this character and what his mindset's in from the beginning of the episode right up to the final scene that he plays in the finale. Well, he does. And I think that part to me and I I could be wrong about this but this is just my interpretation of it I think that's part of what lends to his madness later on Mm -hmm. that he assumes that he's the only person at some point that can save Cardassia and he goes to some great lengths to that end as we know but I I I think that it's I think it's his narcissism on steroids because Mm. I mean Ducat is a for all of the other things he is he absolutely is a you know, a, a narcissist on steroids, quite frankly, because it's always him. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, it, it's very interesting when you take a step back and you look at this character, because everything he does is because he feels he's the best or the only person that can take that role on, whether it's the person who oversees Terok Nor, or whether it's the person who's in charge of the, the provisional government or the, the Dixtapa council. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or whether he's, you know, the, uh, the person in charge with getting Taraknor back, um, or taking on the Cardassian government as yeah, he does. Absolutely. It's, it's, he always puts himself in a role, 
because of who he is. And ultimately, I think that's what drives him off the deep end. I agree. One of the – see, I got Bill Smith disease now because you had that earlier. <laughs> <I did. laughs> um, earlier uh, in the Sierra, mid-series maybe, on uh, season four, season five, I think one of the most interesting aspects of his character and the development and that start to the downward spiral is when he decides to become uh, the vigilante to kill all the Klingons when they're at war. Yeah. Uh, when he steals the Klingon bird of prey and has Damar as his first officer and they go off and just start taking out Klingon ships. It, it the whole idea of what you just said is he needs to be the one with the spotlight on him. This is a perfect example of that. Even though he's doing it as quietly as he can with that cloaked ship, he wants people to know that it's him. And I think it was interesting, a lot of the dialogue that took place between him and Damar or him and Cisco or him and Kira when he was captain of that bird of prey and uh, working to uh, kill all the Klingons and, and help end the war was very telling into where his mindset was at and where it was headed based on what he had seen before. You know, that reminds me of one of my favorite Dukat quotes from By Inferno's Light. You know, uh, it's my oldest son's birthday is in five days to him and to Cardassians everywhere. I make the following pledge. By the time his birthday dawns, there will not be a single Klingon alive inside Cardassian territory or a single Maquis colony left within our borders. That just shows the level of, uh, of, uh, I, I want to call it hatred, but it's, it's something deeper than that, um, that, that he devolves into, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's another interesting layer to his character, that quote that you just said. He is this tyrant, maniacal, vicious, cobra-like person. But yet, when it comes to, it kind of reminds me of uh, Gul Madred when Picard was taken prisoner. His Everything that he says he's doing this for is for his family. And he talks about his oldest son's birthday, like you just said. He has seven children, according to what uh, is established, uh, and a wife. We never get to see them. But um, he he maybe it's an excuse that he uses his family for why he's doing everything. I'm not sure. But the way that he portrays it, especially in that quote that you just mentioned, is is very telling, I think, as to what this um, person's mind is like during the series. Well, and I think that all plays to you know Ducat's. Uh, I don't want to say strengths, but for one of a better word, as a as a master manipulator and and just a, an outright liar. I mean, mm -hmm. he's a guy who uh, at almost every turn fails to tell the truth, even when it, it it's in his best interest to do so, and even then, it's always a portion of the truth. It's never the actual truth mm -hmm. maybe not till you get to waltz when his he, he is so disturbed and so you know out of it mentally that he kind of lets some of his his true nature go in front of cisco what an amazing episode that is waltz it's so good before we get to that one of the other things i always wished they had uh talked about more. And I, and I mentioned a minute ago that that Garrick and he had a bad relationship and, and you really never knew why. Apparently, according to one episode, it was because Dukat blamed the Obsidian Order for his father's death. So that's why he has that relationship with Garrick. But the relationship with Odo is really an interesting one for me because as we know, Odo was constable, quote unquote, of the station when Dukat was overseer. So they've had this past that we've never, I mean, we've seen some things and we've, we've had just discussions heard about that relationship, but that's another interesting one. Um, Dukat always seems to be on, I don't know, better behavior when uh, he's talking to Odo. And I always found that that was very interesting. What about you? 
No, I, I agree with that. I um, it's I I feel like the more we unpack some of these Ducat things, the more we go, wow, <laughs> it's it's really even worse than we thought, or deeper than we thought, you know. Um, and, and it's interesting as you were talking about that, there were two kind of things that come to my mind, uh, just in general, and that's kind of how my mind goes when I think about Ducat. It just sort of veers and 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 jags all over the place when when I look at the lengths he's gone to, I, I think about the fact that, you know, in season seven, you know, we do get to see Mark Alimo as kind of Mark Alimo. Yes. When Ducat takes on the persona of, you know, Angel Tenen, um, Bajoran farmer, I think he was, a, I think he was a mm-hmm. farmer. Yes, he was. And after he figures out what the wormhole really is to the Bajorans, after he immerses himself in the Bajoran texts, and I, I look at that, and and I think that's just really twisted. I think twisted is the word I'm going to keep coming back to from here on in, because okay. pretty much everything Ducat does in the last three seasons of the show just borders on super, super twisted. And he works himself closer to win. And I think that's just... That's that's a move that really kind of surprised me at the time because it was just one I didn't see coming. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I think personally, I think it's the best thing that the, the writers did uh, at the end of the series was that relationship with Wynn and Dukat and how it came about. Like you said, he totally immerses himself into learning the Bajoran religion. And you have to wonder, he's doing this all for one specific end game. He, he allows himself to be taken over by a pa wraith and he studies uh, all the texts for so long. Um, he surgically alters himself to look hard. He goes through a ton of stuff in order to get to this final um, idea of what he wants to do to destroy Bajor after he talks about how he wanted to save Bajor in waltz. Um, it twisted is perfect because just trying to word what's going on in my head about the different things that we see during this final arc is I can't put it into words because it's so twisted. It's hard to, it's hard to to, to describe it, but um, I guess he's a perfect example that someone will go to any length necessary in order to get their end result. Well, and it's interesting because you you referenced how he wanted to save Bajor and Waltz. And I've always thought that he wanted to save Bajor by destroying Bajor. Hmm. You know, it, he had to sort of rid it of all the Bajorans. Yeah, he thinks they're inferior. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and the, he kind of works his way back full circle at that point. You know, mm-hmm. it's sort of the beginning of the series, but on a much more maniacal level. I think maniacal was a great word you used earlier. Um, ultimately, I think that the only way that that relationship with Wynn was going to end was by him killing her. Yeah, I knew it was going to happen. You, you you felt it had to, especially after she realized uh, who Angel Tanan was. Thank you very much, Sobor. Uh, I'm glad you gave your life for letting her know that it was Dukat, because you couldn't tell just by his voice or by his eyes. Or <laughs> That's okay. Um, but uh, I, I lost where I was going to go with that, but it, it really is amazing what they were able to do with this final um, – this final act. And, and like you said, uh, uh, like I said, I knew that she was going to die. I do have to say that her death was extremely empty for me as much as I didn't yeah. like her and didn't like the character. I grew to like what she was doing at the end of the series and for her to just be kind of like 
wiped out quickly uh, with those with whatever it is that he did to her. It was kind of a meaningless and, and empty death for me in terms of, of a character that was so, so horribly awesome as Kai Wynn was by Louise Fletcher. No, I agree with you entirely. I think that the only reason why that that quick death was okay was because at some point Wynn was going to have to live with the notion that she slept with Dukat. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things, I, I mean, it's, it's a little off of talking about Dukat, but it's going back to Wynn a little bit. I really liked, even though it was too late at this point, the complete 180 degree turn that she took right at the end there when she was about to die, when she pled for the emissary to get the book, the way that that line was right before she died was, was, it was like her eyes were finally open that Benjamin was the emissary and he was doing for the good of Bejor and she was wrong the entire time. I agree with you hundred percent, you know, and you kind of bring us to kind of the most interesting relationship that Ducat has. It's not with Zial. It's not with Wynn. Mm-hmm. It's not even with Damar. Nope. It's with Benjamin Cisco. Yes. And it's this sort of really bizarre, you know, coupling of opposites. You know, they are opposites in every way, shape or form. And it's it's a relationship that evolves just as much as Ducat does. You know, I think there are times where Cisco recognizes that he is really the worst, mm-hmm. but there are times where he knows that they've got to work with him or at least appease him for the larger goal. And I think that that's the most interesting dynamic of that relationship. So by the time we get to Waltz, and clearly Ducat is absolutely capable of killing Cisco if he wants to, mm-hmm. but he can't. Yeah. Because that relationship really in the end is 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 what he has. It, it is. Let me ask you this, Bill. Is you said that they're complete opposites in some ways, and one in particular I'm thinking, they're very, very much alike. And by that I mean Ducat does whatever he can in order to try and find his final goal succeed, which is to destroy Bajor and, and be, you know, this ultimate ruler, pa wraith worshiper, whatever. What did Ben do uh, with uh, the Romulan Senator and getting the Romulans into the war? He did everything he had to do to get that goal as bad as it was. I think the only difference here is Cisco has regret for it. Dukat certainly didn't. Well, and, and Cisco was kind of thrust into that. I mean, he didn't know the plan was to kill Vrenak. True, true. You know, that was all Garrick. Yeah. You know, and so he has to live with that. And he can live with it. <laughs> Whoa, is he going to there? So computer, delete that entire personal <laughs> log. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's really the main difference. Whereas Ducat would do it in a heartbeat and not apologize for it. Cisco had to be dragged into it unknowingly mm-hmm. and then had to experience the aftermath. Absolutely. So, so I still think they're kind of opposites in, in a way. Okay. Um, or it, to me, it's kind of the a great illustration of the the continuous struggle between good and evil. You know, we don't think the Deep Space Nine's about that when we start, but in the end, that's really kind of what it boils down to. You know, you have this force for per- perpetual good in Benjamin Sisko, and you have this clear definition of evil in Dukat, and good has to rule the day. That's kind of how I see it. That's good. I like that. Uh, we get to see that uh, that little tango that they that they, as, as to quote uh, Big Bang Theory that tango that they go back and forth with um, throughout the majority of the series is good. But then we finally get to see that dance that the two of them have with Waltz, 
That is the ultimate showdown between the two, and it's the ultimate episode that we see Ducat completely fall off the cliff into this madness that he uh, he has for for I believe the majority of the rest of the series. And you said that the relationship between the two is the most important one uh, uh, that we see, and this episode certainly shows how different they are, but how much they or he needs Ben in his life. He absolutely does. I don't think that, you know, he can exist necessarily without it. I mean, he did before, you know, but at that point he was just the, the overseer of Tarak Nor. Mm-hmm. Now there's so much more on the line. Now in, in order to destroy Bajor, he has to destroy Cisco. It's that yeah. simple yeah. because he realizes that Cisco's the emissary as well. Mm-hmm. And that becomes his ultimate struggle. Uh, and when you think about it in those terms and you, you kind of think of it with those overarching themes, it's interesting to go back and watch it as I did recently. And it's like, wow, because it's its own arc over the, over the seven seasons. I mean, people talk about how the dominion war was the arc. That's not the only arc that exists in the show. Clearly the relationship between Ducat and Cisco could is, and could be defined as its own separate arc because it, it takes that many turns and it's written that well. It is. Um, I think a good example of this relationship, and and I, I don't know. Do you think possibly that that Cisco, quote unquote, needs Ducat, uh, not to the same level as Ducat needing Benjamin? And the reason I ask that is because at the beginning of Waltz, when they're on board the the Honshu transporting Gul Ducat uh, to his war crimes, uh, Cisco is with him instead of taking his own shuttlecraft or, or uh, another starship to go to those war crime here, war crimes hearings where Cisco is going to testify. He decides to go on the same ship that, that Ducat himself is being held prisoner in. And then of course we, we know that the Honshu gets uh, attacked and, and Ducat um, gets Ben and they both go down to the planet where the entire episode unfolds. But to me, it's kind of like, did you purposely go on the haunt you so that you could talk to him? And what were you going to say? Was it going to be goading? Was it going to be any kind of um, um, pity on him? This, that, and the other thing I found, I always found that very interesting that he just happened to go on the same ship. Well, but, and also keep in mind, Cisco doesn't necessarily want to talk to him either. At the beginning of that episode, that whole teaser, the captain's log is, is really kind of fantastic. And it's, mm. that's really kind of where Cisco's mind is at. And it's, uh, I actually have it here. It says, uh, start date five one four zero eight point six. I've been aboard the Honshu for two days now, and I still haven't spoken to him. Mm-hmm. Although the doctors have assured me that he's made a full recovery. Maybe that's what I'm afraid of. Maybe I prefer to think of him as a crazy man, a broken man. He'd be less dangerous that way. As terrible as it sounds, there's a part of me that wishes he were dead, but that's a thought unworthy of a Starfleet officer. He lost an empire, he lost his daughter, and he nearly lost his mind. Whatever his crimes... Isn't that enough punishment for one lifetime? Yeah. And that kind of tells us where Ducat's at mentally. It tells us where Cisco's at mentally, if you yeah. think about it. Yeah. And I, I think it makes him kind of an uh, really almost a, an unwilling passenger on the haunt in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously he had to choose to go or, or maybe he was ordered to go. I'm not really sure. But when you think about it in those terms, I don't think he wanted to gloat at all. <sighs> It's uh, everybody deserves a second chance is something that I've said before, but 
do you think Ducat's one of those people who deserves a second chance? Because he's had all of these things that have taken place. And when you were reading that to me, it was very good Cisco, by the way. Um, I was thinking that he's lost this. He's lost that. He's lost something else. But he's done so many other things that are just unspeakable. That's an interesting mindset that Cisco has that he's he's kind of sounds like he's got pity on Ducat for what he's gone through and not taking into 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 mind what he's done. Know what I mean? I do. But going back to your second chances observation, I think that Ducat gets second and third and fourth chances all before this to the point Mm -hmm. where he gets to this point. I don't think there are any chances left. I mean, Ducat is deluded enough to call Benjamin his old his dear old friend. Yeah, in his episode, mm-hmm. you know, come to visit him in his cell, and he he totally manipulates the situation in his own mind to think that the two of them are buddy buddy in a way, and I think at that point Cisco realizes that there's no coming back for this guy. There can't yeah. be. Yeah, there absolutely can't be, and that's really why this episode is so brilliant, quite frankly. And the way that you see this fall right before our eyes in those caves and walls of Dukat's mind with the, with the hallucinations and, and the, the way that he totally believes that he was doing everything for the good of Bajor and that he loves Bajorans. Mark does such a great job. I think this is his shining moment in the entire series. And there's some great stuff after this that takes place, but this, this spiral that we see happen is, it's weird as it sounds it's beautiful to watch because it's done so well uh by by mark himself and cisco uh and um uh does it i'm losing my train of thought because it's just so many things (laughs) coming into my mind um avery does such a great job in helping that spiral and then also in going through what he's going through being injured and and trying to figure out a way to to save him because he probably feels at some point that he's gone Tukat's gone so crazy, he's gonna get he's gonna get killed. Well, uh, one of the things I love a great many things about Walt. The first of which is it's directed by Rene Aubergenois. Mm, yeah, <laughs> which I always forget. The second of which is this is the last this is the last time that Cisco and Ducat are together until oh, the finale. That's true. Yeah, you don't see them in the same room or scene again until the very end. Mm-hmm. And I think that. I think that's brilliant. I think that that's the way it had to be. And we're talking about a year and a half. That's right. Waltz is the 11th episode of season six. That's right. Yeah. That's, so that's it's, amazing. It's early on. So for almost two full seasons, you don't see those two characters together in the same room. And then the, the thing that, that I've read Ron Moore and, and Iris Stephen bear talk about in the past was that this is really the episode where Ducat comes to terms with who he really is. And, it's a disgusting individual mm-hmm. who, who wants to kill all the Bajorans and wishes he had in the first place. This, this, this episode is the linchpin for Ducat becoming who Ducat has always been. He's just never been comfortable enough to say it. And it's amazing what this, what the ramifications of this episode for Ducat are. And that for somehow in some way that we don't really see, he ends up turning to the pirates to get that ultimate ultimate goal and i'd love to have some backstory as to what his how his mind came to that conclusion after what happened on that planet with uh, with ben and waltz oh i agree with you i um 
I, I would have loved to have seen this, you know, as a, as a two hour long episode, because there is just some, some in- amazing and off the wall acting that occurs between Avery Brooks and Mark Alimo. I mean, those two actors perform well together in every scene they're in. They do. But this took that to a completely different level, which is, uh, I still watch it and rewatch it again. In fact, we're going to be talking about it, uh, later this year on Trek geeks. That's right. Um, because it is one of those standout episodes that, I mean, all of deep space nine is pretty much a must watch, but, um, that, that episode, especially, especially the fact that Cisco becomes kind of like a Ma- captain MacGyver and fixes that transmitter with a fork. <laughs> <laughs> well, forks are really important in the Federation. I'm just here to let you know. <laughs> just here to let you know. Um, so ultimately there's the final showdown with, Ducat and Cisco. And it, it, it seems like it's something that's over all too quickly, unfortunately, because I think it has to be. You know, Cisco knows what has to be done. Ducat knows what he's there to do. Mm-hmm. And the only way that Cisco can defeat him is to, I don't want to use the word sacrifice because it's not necessarily right in this context, but is to sacrifice himself. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's it really is a great uh story of what he knows that he needs to do he knows that you know he wants to build a house on bajor he wants to watch his baby be born and grow up and be with cassidy and jake and have a wonderful family but yet he knows for the good of bajor as the emissary he needs to do what he ends up doing in the fire caves in order to make sure that they are safe and that that's the ultimate. I think I don't think sacrifice is really a wrong word, Bill. I think that's that's um that's a good word to describe that he's willing to sacrifice the things that he loves the most because to him the Bajorans are just as important. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. You know, and that that mantra is sort of in our face all throughout Star Trek. And it really is a perfect example of that uh, right right in front of our eyes. You know, Cisco takes the only action possible to ensure the safety of Bajor and the Bajorans, and it, it it takes Dukat out of the mixture. Now, this brings up an interesting question. So if you look at Memory Alpha on the Dukat entry, it says status. And for a lot of people, it says deceased. Mm-hmm. But for Dukat, it says, let me read this word for word here. It says, eternally trapped in the Bajoran fire caves which I never really thought of before this. Never thought of that. I figured he was just dead. Mm -hmm. So in your mind, what's your headcanon? Is he dead or is he, you know, take on kind of this, um, this devil role almost literally. It's kind of like the uh, general Zod is trapped in the, uh, the, the glowy crystal that floats around through space all the time. Zone, yeah i'll tell you what i never really thought of it either and and when you read that to me earlier i was like what that opens up a whole new possible can of worms um because and, and it kind of makes sense i've always looked at it as okay he gets pushed into the into off the cliff there's all kinds of fire around he gets burned up he's gone he's he's dead but then we also got to remember that ben was falling in those same flames and we know that he didn't die so the more I think about it, since you read it to me, the more intrigued I am about the fact that he may still be alive and trapped. And the more I hope it's the case, uh, that would be, that would be a great storyline, 
Um, of course, not on TV, but maybe in a novel of some kind. But I never thought of it that way ever. And Memory Alpha just made me have mind bleepery. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so yeah, Ducat kills Win. Cisco plunges himself and Ducat into the fires, which also destroyed the book. Right. So that technically means that Ducat is trapped there forever with the Paw Wraiths. Mm-hmm. However, does this add an overtly religious subtext to the ending with what happens to these characters? Do we kind of see Ducat become the devil and Cisco become an angel in a way? Because Cisco goes to this uh, this place where the light is bright white when he talks mm-hmm. to Cassidy. Is it, it uh, in hindsight, looking at it from those terms, it almost seems a little ham handed, but I think deep space nine is the only series that could pull this off. And that's coming from me as an atheist. I think that would be an amazing question for Ira because I've never thought of it as such, but thinking of it quickly right now off the cuff, based on what we were just talking about, I could see that that's what they purposely tried to do. Um, I think it would have had more, credence if we saw Ducat after the fact in some kind of, you know, perpetual hellish looking place and, and seeing him uh, still quote alive, um, but in another realm, so to speak. And, and I never really thought of, of Ben uh, as the angel, you know, with all the white, we saw that with Q in one episode, but that was after supposedly Picard had died. And a lot of people talk about the white light and Mm -hmm. so forth. Um, it's a great question. You always make me think on the show and thinking is not easy. So I, I salute you. That's, that's pretty good. Thinking is hard. Let me ask you a question to get you thinking. I have a brief follow-up. Sure. Now, if we saw Ducat trapped in that way, would that have made that, you know, uh, that allegory or that analogy even more ham handed because you'd essentially see him suffering in hell. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If we saw that, then definitely I would think that would be the case. And that's that's kind of the ultimate, let's make you decide, did the did the island in Lost actually happen is, is a question that everybody comes to. We can ask that question here. Is he eternally trapped or is he dead? We never see anything to definitively tell us that. So we have to just go with what we think. And somebody right next to us could be thinking the exact opposite. If they had showed that, then it, I would. I would say they purposely did it in that way for just the reason that you mentioned. Yeah. So you were going to say, I'm sorry. I was going to say, and, and this is going a few episodes back before the, the finale. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going out of order, so to speak, but oh, okay. we, we all see that, you know, uh, Dukat decides to change himself into a Bajoran. He, he studies up on Bajoran history and, and, and stuff that he may not have known already so that he can actually look like he's, a farmer from Raketha province, if I remember correctly. Um, and he gets intertwined into Kai Wynn's life. You made jokes about how uh, Kai Wynn slept with Dukat, uh, this, that, and the other thing. Do you think Dukat did that on purpose to try to achieve his goal? Or was it more of a, hey, wait until she finds out that she's doing Gul Dukat. And that's going to be the ultimate FU moment between those two. It's something that I've actually gone back and forth with. Was he doing it just because it was part of the plan? Did he do it because he wanted to do it? Or did he do it because that he knew when she found out that would just be the ultimate, ultimate half moment for him? I think that God is such a master manipulator. I don't think he necessarily went into it saying, oh, I'm going <laughs> to sleep with Wynn and she's going oh, to hate herself. <laughs> um, I think that it just sort of worked out that way. I think that it was 
a way to gain her confidence. I think that it was a way to ensure that he had gotten the foothold he wanted to with her. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if he said to himself, oh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop the the leader of the Bajoran religion. <laughs> I don't think that happened. What was worse in your opinion, Pulaski and Riker or Win and Ducat? Pulaski and Riker. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know why. I just I, I, I got a hard time getting over that. I take the I take the Win and Ducat one as worse. Uh, they're both pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> ultimately, ultimately, it's all good. Or, you know. You know it's, Everybody needs love, Dan. That's true. Yeah, all you need is love. So mm. we've talked about the 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 importance that Gul Dukat has in Deep Space Nine and Mark Alimo's performance of him. Would it surprise you to learn, Dan, that we only see Gul Dukat in Star Trek Deep Space Nine 35 times? Yeah, uh, that that is surprising. It doesn't surprise me because I actually looked it up before we recorded a couple of days ago because he it seems like he's in every episode. Kind of. Well, he gets talked about in so many episodes. Yeah. He's not even in. Yeah, yeah, and and I think we talked about this a little bit when we had Andy Robinson on talking about Garrick. It's amazing that he was in so few episodes as he was, and the same from Mark. But the characters hold are held in such high regard for only being in certain amount of episodes, and I think that is a huge credit to both actors, Andy and and Mark, as to what they were able to do with the small amount of time. When you think of it that they were actually on screen. I agree. Um, it's, it, it's amazing to think because I look at that and go, really, is that all? Mm-hmm. IMDb has got to be wrong. No, no, I don't think they are. No, no, I don't think they are. So uh, it's, it's a testament to Mark Alimo's performances to cut. It's a testament to the writing mm-hmm. because I mean, he, Alimo's only doing what they're giving him to do. And the two together are, are just, uh, they're magical in deep space nine. It creates I hate saying this term, but I'm going to use it. The perfect villain. He is. He really is the perfect villain. Uh, we we talk about. We can talk about any other villains that we have, and I'm just going to pull a couple off the top of my head, and they may be hugely bad or hugely good examples. You talked about the Borg. Let's talk about Ruafo and Insurrection, or let's talk about um, uh, the Shower Curtain Man, and then the Children Shall Lead. All of these <laughs> different. All of these different villains, and I, I say that one tongue in cheek, but all of these villains that are supposedly just these awful, awful characters and awful people, they don't hold a candle to what we see with Dukat in terms of how his mind works and the layers. I think that's the key. We keep going back to that a lot is the layers that Dukat has that make him such an amazing character and my favorite villain in Star Trek history, if not my favorite villain ever in any type of genre. Well, you know, Dan, there are five layers that we need to talk about right now, and they are, of course, the members of the band Five Year Mission, without whom this podcast would be very dull sounding, because it would just be your voice and my voice, and who wants to listen to that for an hour? That, that's dull. That's really dull. Dan, they are every ounce of music you hear on Trek Geeks, and we are so thrilled that they're a part of this show every single week. We want everyone to head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Get a copy of Year Four, because that album is fantastic. It's uh, it's one I've listened to often. It's one we had playing during uh, the Fan Geeks party uh, <laughs> in Vegas just a few weeks ago. And um, we just know everyone's going to become a huge fan. So go on out to fiveyearmission.net, get their album. And hey, while you're at it, let Creation know you want them back as the house band for STLV because it's not going to happen any other way, Dan. 
Absolutely. And and if you were at STLV, we hope that you were one of the lucky 10 people who won a free copy of Five-Year Mission just for finding us at one point on Sunday. So uh, yeah, good album. Download it, listen to it, learn it, and love it. Um, but you know, to, to go off on a little bit of a tangent, Bill, we just said it, you know how I love talking about Dukat so much. Um, just the complex and intriguing character that we love to see. Um, but did you know that he was not the most most ruthless of overseers during the occupation, Bill? What? No, no, sir. There was uh there was another. Uh he ruled with an iron fist at a different Kardashian station. Did you right say near- Kardashian? Thank you for catching that. English is hard. Cardassian station near the Bajoran sector. And uh, yeah, the station name and the station prefect were uh, words that brought fear to every Bajoran. You did not want to find yourself at M. Farknor ruled by the feared and dangerous Galdufark. That's right, Bill. Double Farkism this weekend. Love it. Got them coming all the time, and I'm just so happy that I was able to see that M. Farknor call. I don't have to love anything about that. <laughs> um, Gal du Fark. Mm, M. Farknor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I was getting there. I was, uh, getting yeah. there. I was just trying to hold the pain off a little bit. <laughs> it sounds like you're not the only one who needs some drugs today. Because <laughs> I'm going to need that to dull the pain like you wouldn't believe. Um, yeah, so fiveyearmission.net. Score yourself some amazing tunes trust me you're gonna thank us afterwards just like johnny stags did uh dan <laughs> next week it's time for us to bring back a fan favorite <laughs> it's i don't you know what bill it's not only a fan favorite quite frankly i think it's one of our favorites as well yeah it is uh, as we continue our year-long celebration of deep space 925 we're going to tackle perhaps one of the greatest seasons in tv history on see it or skip it Yes, that's right. It's Deep Space Nine, season four. And joining us will not only be a just a fantastic guy all around, but an amazing author who is a New York Times bestselling author. Yes, you heard it right. Uh, we've had him over on Discovering Trek to listen to his wonderful tones. And next week, Dayton Ward will join us to break down season four of DS9. That is next week on Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. Oh, that's going to be fantastic. It's a season where Worf comes into Deep Space Nine. get the Way of the Warrior to kick it off. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Hopefully, Dayton um, can keep some control on on the mess that is (laughs) Bill and Dan. I'm just (laughs) going to put that right out there. Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. Dan, they've got eight podcasts over there do you know that with three more in the works i hear wow one of which is the brand new queer trek which we're very excited to hear about our good friend heather barker doing some great stuff over there as well as jeff hewlett and everybody else at tricorder we love them and we desperately want you to check them out because we know you'll find a podcast you love um maybe more than ours and then (laughs) of course for all the news on all the star treks yo please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 148 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Cardassia will be made whole. All that we have lost will be ours again. And anyone who stands in our way will be destroyed. This I vow with my life's blood. For my coconut. For all our coconuts. 
Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They are writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com. Bing bong! <laughs> don't cry, Dan. It's okay. I'm sorry. Hi. Hi, don't cry. All right, I won't cry. This is this is murderous. Your Correct. face is murderous. Uh, that's that started off with a bang. Walked right into that one. Thank you. Yep, you sure did. Uh, I would walk right into it if I could walk. Walking is overrated. Uh, any movement is overrated at this point because I can't do it. I'm getting old, sir, because I did it tying my shoes. <laughs> I um. Okay, I got nothing. No. Mm-hmm. And remember about, uh, oh, God, what was it, a month and a half ago when I hurt my back at work? Yeah. It's about 10 times worse than that. <laughs> it's it's not great. Well, that really sucks, buddy. I'm sorry to hear that. No, it's all right, but, I'm, I'd re- but it's good because now I can sit in this chair and not move and record an episode of Trek Geeks with my best bud. Until so, you start laughing and hurt your back. <laughs> so let me know when he gets here. Oh, that's stone cold. Stone cold, yo. That's a yeah. Try not to get too loud because your echo just goes out of the. It did. Uh, I, heard, I heard that. I was like, oh boy. I should have told you to put a pillow behind your microphone. I can. No, no, no don't, don't. It's over there. It only takes me about a half hour. Yeah, that's that's why. <laughs> it only takes me about a half an hour. Oh, oh well. What can you do? The thing that sucks is I was going to do a bunch of stuff around the house today, and I can't do anything. This seems really convenient. <laughs> honey, I, honey, I can't. Oh, my back. Wow. Oh. Wow. Really? Oh, I'm sorry. Could you, could you give me that drink? Oh, I didn't think of that. Put extra tequila in it. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you're going to be sofa-bound and having a marathon of... Um, something. Something. Probably Deep Space Nine. The only downfall is you can't iron your underwear today. <sighs> I know. You're, you, I'll look at you on the camera. You just You don't know what to do. You're beside yourself. <laughs> Okay, I'll, I I I can't even argue with you. <laughs> it's because if you do, it's going to put you in too much pain. <laughs> exactly. Uh, speaking of pain, yes. So this morning at oh I don't know it was like quarter to six. The dogs were jumping around, so obviously they had to go out. So I started to try to get up, and I just couldn't. So Sue did, and I'm laying in bed, and I'm not hearing anything, and I'm waiting for her to come back, and. I'm like, what is taking so long? And then they come in, all three, Sue and the dogs come in. Callie jumps up on the bed and is just like a basket case. Evidently, she got down the hill in the backyard where the invisible fence border is. Yeah. And got trapped down there because she couldn't get back up the slope because of the rocks getting zapped the whole time. And she finally figured out to run a certain direction where there weren't the rocks and she ran up. But she probably got zapped for like... 15 seconds <laughs> oh my god poor thing but now she yeah. won't go down there again that's good <laughs> <laughs> and I, didn't, I didn't hear any of it <laughs> can we put the collar on you and have you get zapped absolutely 
Because um, I would be all for that sh- uh, I, crap. I was a very nice save there. Actually, our, our good pal Scott from uh, where we work mentioned that that did that he did that once. He didn't think the collar was working, so he tested it on himself, which was pretty stupid, but it was working. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got nothing. Yeah. Well, you usually don't <clears throat> have anything to. I don't think that taking pot shots at me is the way to go here, Gimpy Mc, McGimperson. <laughs> right, I can't. I so, am I to assume that um, you're probably going to go to the chiropractor tomorrow morning? That's you my know, guess. I don't know. Uh, let me let me give you some sage advice. Hmm. Go to the chiropractor tomorrow morning. Just go in. It. Uh, I'd I'd send him an IM tonight that yeah. says, uh, "Hey." I threw my back out. If you don't mind, uh, I'd like to come see you first thing in the morning. And uh, 99 times out of 100, he'll say yes. Okay. I'll do that as soon as we're done. I'll actually send him a note when we're done recording. Yeah. And I'd totally hit him up on Messenger because he's, yeah, that's what he's he responded t- to me before. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. <clears throat> and we'll drive separately tomorrow. Okay. All right. Which will make Route 3 very sad, but it will make Dan very happy. Oh, okay. I think I did it again. Spotify. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> you're such a liar. I wanted to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. That's like, right. Uh, yeah. The 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 last thing we want to do is pay royalties to Britney Spears. <laughs> That's true. Good point. All right. <clears throat> I got gotcha. you. Dummy. Sorry. I'm so I, I forget. It's the drugs talking. It is. That's it's good point. Good point. I'd be yeah, very I, coherent otherwise. And I don't know if Advil really qualifies, but that's, that's the excuse we're going to use. I like it. Let's do it. Ah. Ah. So, um, so you, I know you haven't picked up your loot crate yet, or sorry, your Star Trek mission crate. Mm. I've picked up mine, and we're going to talk about it in news. But uh, oh, great! I am so glad I canceled, and I'm going to say that um, without a problem. Uh, yeah, there's not even a T-shirt this time. Really. Do you yep. get like socks or anything? Well, we can they're talk so- about it. They're socks, but yeah, we can talk about it. What Unbelievable. By the way, what are you drinking? I just have a vanilla biscotti Folgers K-cup this morning. That sounds delightful. It's not bad. It's not the best, but it's not horrible. I have mm. a Gloria Jean's butter toffee. I like Gloria Jean. She's nice. She's a very nice person. And I'm not a, usually a big fan of butter toffee, but this is really kind of nice. Oh, oh well, okay. Uh, I like your mug. It's good Thank mug. Thank you. A Ben and Jerry's mug that my mm-hmm. wife and I got um, at the Ben and Jerry's tour. We were staying at a bed and breakfast in Vermont on our first anniversary when I got that. There you go. I got the goofer. Nice. The goofer. So self-portrait. Yes. Well, yours is a self-portrait there, too. What are you saying? I'm, I look like two guys that make ice cream? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, not that, fa- I'm not that fat. <laughs> I didn't say that. No, you're saying wow. I look like two guys as opposed wow. to one. That's Jeez. well. I don't know why you had to go there. Two guys, don't they have a podcast? Yeah, two guys, <laughs> one track. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently, there's a new podcast coming out called Gay Trek Geeks. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, and uh, hey, good luck to them. Yeah, um, uh, we, I'm kind of fond of the name. It's kind of <laughs> cool. It's um. Uh, <clears throat> I did like the the logo, the the screenshot of the logo that they that they put out. It was kind of interesting. I hadn't seen it yet. Oh, okay. Is it, is it gay? Wait a minute. Is it gay track or queer track? 
No, no, no. You're talking about Queer Trek on Tricorder. Yes, that's what I was I'm thinking. I'm talking Sorry. about Gay Trek Geeks. Oh, oh, yes, yes. I have seen that. When I try to do a search in Facebook, it's like, oh, hi, guys. You, yeah. that's, that's our name. <laughs> kind of. Mostly. Kinda. <laughs> Although we did meet people in Vegas who initially thought that we were a couple when they met us. That is true. That is true. And didn't realize that we're married to other people right. who yeah. are women. Right. Well, that's okay. Which, I mean, yeah, that's totally okay. But I, I'm, <laughs> I wonder if people are going to think that's us too. <laughs> we, we, we fight like we're married, jerk. Uh, you fight like we're married. I'm we a lover, not a fighter. We don't, my, my wife and I don't fight, so that's good. No, my, me and mine either. Yeah. I, I, you know, the, other thing, the other thing that's funny in Vegas is people reversed our voices with our faces, which seems to yeah. happen a lot. That kind of surprises me. Oh, well, because your mean, voice is kind of ingratiating and and painful. So I mean, huh. I mean, when you take my mellifluous tones, you know, mm-hmm. I would think that it would go with this beautiful face. I'm shutting my camera off. Oh, that's, there you uh, go. Oh. <laughs> Here I am again. Ah. Oh my god! <laughs> sorry. Oh my sorry. god! Hey, we should that. uh we should take a, a screenshot for uh for Twitter as we record. All right, let me get my pose up. You ready? One, yeah. two, three. Thank you. This is Good riveting job, conversation. Man. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. I hate you so much. Are you sure. ready to do this? Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Okay. Uh, shut up and take some more drugs. Okay. <laughs>